You're listening to Season 8, Episode Number 13 of Strike the Match. In this episode, I discuss the topic of a mission in the general epistles. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist Dr. J.D. Penn. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Well, hello, listeners. Once again, thank you so much for checking out Strike the Match. I am J.D. Payne, and it is always a delight. It's a blessing. It's an honor to be with you as you are going through uh, your day or evening or afternoon, whatever time it may be for you, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for allowing me to join with you, even if I am just background noise. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to be with you through the miracle of podcasting. Hey, we're in episode number 13 of this season, folks. Episode number 13, Mission in the General Epistles. If you are just uh, joining us for the first time, I've been teaching through my book, Theology of Mission. If you have not had a chance to get a copy of that, I would certainly appreciate it if you would. Uh, I would appreciate it if you would get 20 or 30 copies of it. Uh, give them to your friends, to your enemies. Use them as uh, uh, you know uh, wedges to keep your doors uh, from closing. Uh, prop your windows open. Uh, but anyhow, uh, today we are in uh, the latter part of the New Testament. And, and I want to just go ahead and jump on in. Uh, to this, because the reality of the general epistles is that they are often overlooked in conversations related to mission. Uh, You do not have to go very far. Uh, In fact, if you look in the book, I I cite uh, sources uh, as I was uh, doing research and writing this chapter in the book, Uh, but what you find is that you don't have to look very far to realize that there are not many resources out there dealing with the topic of mission in the general epistles. Um, Thankfully, that is starting to change. Uh, uh, I'm encouraged by that. There are a handful of of scholars right now uh, that are working on uh, some books. Uh, One or two have already come out. Uh, related to mission in uh, the general epistles. And so just keep an eye out for these. Uh, If you are a doctoral student, if you're considering doing research in the area of mission, let me me challenge you to consider uh, writing about uh, this topic in the general epistles because it is a field that is wide open. Uh, Not many folks have addressed this particular issue. So, in this episode, I want us to continue thinking about that theme, the blessing of the nations, that we've been talking about for numerous episodes, and I want us to think about it in in light of three particular aspects, three types of expressions, if you will, that we see throughout the general epistles. And that is, when you think about the mission of God in the general epistles— the blessing of the nations comes through, number one, uh, the conversation of or the thought of steadfastness in suffering. That there is an element connected to God blessing the nations through the 
church remaining faithful in times of suffering. Number two, the blessing of the nations through lifestyle. As the church lives out the kingdom ethic before a watching world, the way they relate to one another, not just the way that they relate to the outsider, those that are outside the kingdom, those that are outside the church, but the way they relate to one another, that is is something that has a powerful effect and is a part of the process by which blessing comes to the nations. And then number three, we see the blessing of the nations through actual engagement with the nations, if you will. In light of the judgment, I'll say a little bit more about this toward the end of the episode, but in light of the judgment that is to come, the notion of engagement, engaging those who are far from God, is critical in the minds of the authors of the general epistles. So those are the three big things, the three areas that I want us to kind of think about today as we as we think about mission uh, in the general epistles. So as the gospel continued to spread in the first century and the church grew, the, the young believers found themselves facing really two significant challenges, tensions from within and opposition from without. Internal conflict resulted in strife and stress, hindering the fellowship of the saints, and false teachers from among their ranks spread heretical doctrine and appealed to the fleshly passions of weaker members. As disciples multiplied in the first century, hostilities from the community and government increased. The Christian movement was birthed in a context of violence that continued throughout that period of time in the first century. So now, the general epistles were written in such environments, and we, we cannot miss that as an important aspect of a contextual understanding of the, the backstories to these uh, letters, these documents, if you will. Uh, their authors had much to say about these challenges. The church needed to know how to face opposition and suffering. Also, if the unity of the saints was hindered, and false teachings embraced, and holiness compromised, then the mission of God, don't miss this, the mission of God would be interrupted in the world. If the churches failed to live according to the kingdom ethic in relation to God, one another, and those outside the kingdom, then the dissemination of the message of hope through judgment would not be taken to unbelievers. The nations would fail to hear the good news of the Davidic king and enter into the relationship that brings blessing. Some of the greatest hindrances to the advancement of the gospel are addressed in the general epistles. Now, I mentioned just a, a moment ago that few scholars have written on the topic of mission in the general epistles. Now, this should not come as, as a surprise to us if you're familiar with this literature should not come as a surprise given the aforementioned issues that I just commented on. Uh, the issue of false teaching, the issue uh, of, uh, of persecution. Those issues were great in the first century. They, they demanded the church's attention. And so in the, in the general epistles, you see a great deal of the writers dealing with these issues. 
uh, often in a very pastoral way. Now, the churches in the first century, they were to live as witnesses and as kingdom citizens in a world through their suffering and through their lifestyles in view of the coming judgment or in view of the day of the Lord. And that understanding is very critical to our journey through the general epistles and how it connects to the mission of God. So let's take this this first sub-theme of blessing the nations through, number one, steadfastness in suffering. So blessing the nations through steadfastness in suffering. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of jump around in the various books. And so I'll mention, I'll say something like Hebrews, you know, says this, and John says this, and Jude says that. Um, That's kind of what I'll do to just kind of, you know, pull from the general epistles in view of these three sub-themes, steadfastness in suffering and lifestyle, and, and then number three, engagement. So steadfastness in suffering. Thinking about Hebrews. Uh, The writer of Hebrews calls believers to remain faithful during difficulties and not to return to their former ways of Judaism. Uh, The mission of God to redeem humanity is retold uh, throughout this book. God spoke through the prophets and, most importantly, according to Hebrews 1.1, through his Son. It was the Son who was the sinless high priest of chapter 2 and chapter 4. He offered the propitiation for sin and provided the eternal rest that no Old Testament saint was able to provide and completed his mission, according to chapter 12. Hebrews reveals the ultimate example of a mediator sent as an apostle into the world. We see in chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus is referred to as an apostle. Um, very important, very important aspect when you think about the concept of, of apostle and apostolos. Uh, I, I developed this, I talk about this uh, in my book, Apostolic Imagination. I won't, I won't go into it here, but I would say that in order to begin to develop a, 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 a theology of apostolos, um, We've got to go back to Jesus, especially since Jesus is identified as an apostle sent into the world, and then move out from there as we develop that understanding. But Hebrews, back to the point, Hebrews reveals uh, the ultimate example of a mediator, being Jesus sent into uh, the world as an apostle, to bear witness to God through suffering. Uh, The good news that he provided was that to which the church was to bear witness in the world. Just as the Son suffered as he engaged with God's mission, the church would likewise experience opposition as she lives as a kingdom citizen. Now, the general pattern of practice that we have... (laughs) Airplane flying over. (laughs) I heard this deep rumbling just now, and I thought... That just sounds like someone's playing a bass note on a, on a bass guitar. And um, I've got guitars here in my uh, my studio. but uh, So it, it just kind of freaked me out there for a second. So if you hear the bass rumbling in the background, uh, it's not um, ambient music. It is someone flying over my house. <laughs> or maybe it's a helicopter. Airplane helicopters. One of the above. All right. Back to the, uh, back to the topic of discussion. Uh, that would be a great outtake in this season outtakes of uh, season eight. All right, 
So the general pattern uh, of practice that, that I've talked about several times throughout this season, uh, the notion of what we see, this pattern that we see throughout the Bible that begins with the sending into the world and the ones who are sent share a message and then uh, they share a message with others and it's a message of hope through judgment and those that embrace it, those that enter into it by faith and repentance, they, they enter into a relationship with God and his people and then they finally experience God's blessing and that, that cycles uh, throughout the scriptures. Now, we see that pattern of practice in the general epistles. However, this pattern is often around the sending and the sharing stages of the pattern of practice uh, that these letters give attention to. So as followers of Christ, the believers are sent into the world to live out the kingdom ethic in kingdom communities. Sometimes this practice brings persecution and suffering. Actions and words cannot be separated. Actions that show the gospel and words that share the gospel comprise every disciple's life. However, whether disciples are living in exile, scattered across great geographical distances, or remaining in their locales, they are to bear witness to Christ and his message through lifestyle and engagement with the world. And so this concept of the nations being blessed as a result of the church's suffering is a very peculiar concept, but it is through the suffering that the gospel often advances and that the nations come to hear this message of hope through judgment and enter into relationship with the Creator and experience His blessings. So that brings us to the second concept, the second sub-theme, if you will, in the general epistles, the blessing of the nations through lifestyle, through lifestyle. So think about the book of James for a second. So James recognized that times of testing could easily throw his readers off balance and they could begin to stumble in faithfulness. In other words, their lifestyles would not be true to the word. He reminded them they should consider such struggles with joy and understand that the testing of their faith produces faithfulness, according to chapter 1. If they remain steadfast during their trials, they are guaranteed a crown of life. And the prophets, according to chapter 5 in the book of James, they were an example of suffering and patience that should be looked to as a model. Uh, James comforts his readers by noting that while the storms of life may rage and challenges may, to their faith may come, God dwells with his people, chapter 4, uh, verse number 5, and that God is compassionate and merciful. We see this in chapter 5. His mission brought them to life, a fact that they must not forget as they live among unbelievers. The tension is evident between being in the world as God's people, living out the kingdom ethic while not embracing the ethic of the age. Though they may be scattered in the world, according to the very first verse of the book, they are not to become friends with the world. Such camaraderie is a sure way to end one's intimacy with God and hinder witness, according to James chapter 4, verse 4. Think about John for a second. So you have... Uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, so the epistles of John. So John reminds his readers uh, 
that the pull of the promises of this world is very strong, but the one who does the will of God abides forever, according to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, Eternal life is promised to them and belongs to them, and since their sins have been forgiven, they have overcome the evil one, and they've also overcome the world. They're protected from the devil. This confidence is to encourage and empower them to righteous living and witness in the world that stands against the truth. Again, the concept of how are the nations to experience the blessings of God just as the recipients of these letters have experienced the blessings of God is intimately connected to the lifestyle that the church displays to the world. Let me jump back to James for a second. So according to James, genuine faith cares for the needy and keeps the self from becoming stained by the world. According to James chapter 1, verse 27, it does not dishonor the poor, a chapter 2 in the book. Such countercultural actions of a kingdom citizen would have provided a powerful witness to the gospel in the first century. Let me jump back to John. So, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love, and his followers are expected to love one another. 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 4. John recognized such was not only fundamental to proper fellowship and life in the church, but it would be by their love for one another that outsiders would recognize that the believers are followers of Jesus. Hearkening back to the Gospel of John, John chapter 13, verse 35. The love of the saints for one another is a powerful witness to the world that is passing away with all of its desires of the flesh the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John chapter 2. So again, numerous times throughout the Johannine epistles, particularly 1 John in and of itself, is this important aspect to righteous living. Let me jump back to James for a second. It's not a stretch, I don't think, to say that just as James believed true faith led to righteous living, he believed this lifestyle would include a continuation of the mission of God. Orthodoxy was to lead to godly practices, and such included the church's mission in the world. Old Testament saints who put their faith into action were not only a blessing to those around them, but manifested the glory of God to an unbelieving world. The first century believers were to do likewise. And I think you see that in the general epistles. All right, let me talk about the final sub-theme that I think we see in the general epistles related to the blessing of the nations. And that is the blessing of the nations through engagement with them. So let me, let me jump over to, to Peter, uh, for example, and I'll, I'll say a few words about Peter and Jude, uh, and maybe a little bit about uh, John and, and Hebrews, <clears throat> excuse me, as well. So let's think about 1 Peter. So 1 Peter is, is concerned very much so with the relationship between the church and the world. Uh, the disciples are a chosen race and a holy nation, 1 Peter 2.9. And if this were not lofty enough, Peter includes their calling 
to God as a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9. Again, to whom uh, is Peter writing? He is writing to the church. He's writing to uh, those who are followers of Christ, the disciples. This language that he uses was used in Torah. You know, go back to uh, the podcast episode this season on mission in Torah, and I touched on this. I discussed this, drawing right out of Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, this language of holy nation, royal priesthood, uh, drawing right from the writings of Moses. Peter's picking up on that, applying it to the followers of Jesus. The new community of believers in Christ are no longer identified by their genetics or politics. Their identity transcends such characteristics. Just as God elected his people in ancient days for his purpose of mission, Peter is applying this truth to his readers through Christ. Election does not provide recipients with the freedom to isolate from the rest of the world. Rather, it is a call to engagement. 1 Peter is a letter that helps balance identity in Christ with mission in the world and exhortation to mission. Living such a role in the world means they were to, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. They are God's people who have received his mercy and must live like it according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. If they make known their election and calling by their actions, they will never fall and will receive an entrance into the eternal kingdom. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Peter tells his readers they are to represent God before the world and to represent the world before God that others may be called out of darkness and receive mercy. The message of hope through judgment they were to share with their words and show with their lives was related to their identity as a chosen race, holy nation, and royal priesthood. Peter admonishes his readers to watch their conduct before the Gentiles. Their actions represent the God they serve. His desire is that if they maintain an honorable lifestyle, unbelievers may one day glorify God when he returns according to chapter 2 in 1 Peter. Jesus died that they may follow the way of righteousness in the dark world. Also, chapter 2. Chapter 3, for example, women married to unbelieving men are told to win over their husbands by their respectful and pure conduct. Everyone is to honor Christ as holy before a watching world and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Think about Jude for a second. In Jude's tiny epistle, the author writes to exhort his readers to, in verses 3 and 4, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints as ungodly people have crept into the community of believers. The preservation of orthodoxy was and remains a necessity for the advancement of the gospel. There is no separation between right belief, righteous living, and kingdom advancement. Now, connected to this notion of, of engagement, a great deal of 
what is found in the general epistles deals with the concept of engagement in light of the coming day of judgment. So, for example, think about Hebrews. The the culmination of salvation history in the Messiah and the New Covenant is, is, is addressed throughout the book of Hebrews, while readers are warned both of a coming judgment and to avoid hardening their hearts and losing what they have received as a result of their mission. And then so these concepts are scattered all throughout uh, the book of Hebrews, particularly in chapter 8, chapter 9, uh, chapter 10, uh, several passages in, in chapter 3 as well, and also uh, at least a verse or two in chapter 4. Um, think about the book of James. The judge is about to save and destroy James chapter 4, verse 12. James's exhortation to righteous living is fueled by the fact that his readers belong to God and that God's judgment day is coming soon. Now, overall, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, what do we see? The concept of false prophets and teachers being severely condemned uh, they not only make God appear as a liar, but they lead multitudes of God's image bearers away from entering into relationship with him and receiving his blessings. In the general epistles, what do we see? The general epistles have much to state regarding such deception in the first century. False prophets would arise among the church. However, their condemnation and destruction are approaching, according to for example, 2 Peter chapter 2, Jude offers strong words of warning to the false teachers and ungodly. The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them, according to verse 13. The day of the Lord's visitation, 1 Peter, the day of the Lord's visitation is coming. Oh, excuse me, that's in Jude, actually. Uh, Jude, uh, verses 14 and 15. The day of the Lord's visitation is coming, and Peter desires unbelievers to be prepared for the day of the Lord's visitation. We see that in chapter 2 in his, his epistle. You think about John for a second. What does John say in 2 John chapter 2? The, the truth of God abides forever, but false teachers, though temporary, are a real threat to God's mission in and through the disciples. The day of the Lord is approaching. The false teachers are leading people from experiencing uh, leading astray people from experiencing the blessing of God. John also draws attention to some traveling teachers uh, who are continuing the mission of Christ. They are spreading the gospel and have love for the church. They, they're, they're doing the engagement aspect. They're bearing witness. Such people are to be welcomed and supported, according to John, uh, in contradiction to the actions of troublemakers in the church, such as Diotrephes in Third uh, John, verses 9 and 10. As the church shows hospitality and assistance to such apostolic laborers, uh, John says that they're considered fellow workers for the truth in Third John chapter 8. Think about Peter again for a second. The appearance of Christ, the day of the Lord, uh, the, the concept of, of his delay, shows up in Peter's writings. It is a manifestation of his long-suffering and mission. 
According to 2 Peter 3.9, he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Judgment will come for many, but God now extends the invitation to escape that dreaded day. And this invitation is extended to the world through his people. The, the eschatology that we see in 1 Peter, it lends itself to a missiological reading. The future reality of Judgment Day and the destruction of the world are to govern the practices of the people of God in the present. They are to live holy and godly lives that reflect their calling and be about hastening the day, 2 Peter chapter 3, through the sharing of the gospel. So, to kind of pull all this together, to think about God's mission in the general epistles, what we see is that within the general epistles, there is an offer of a glimpse into some of the struggles of the early church. The authors were much concerned with the holiness and righteous living of the saints during their trials. Their walk with the Lord and fellowship with one another were critical to the global work to which they had been called. Knowing that Jesus is coming and Judgment Day is near, the church must not shrink back from the gospel she received. Though these writings do not offer as extensive of a treatment on the topic of mission as some of the other New Testament writings that we've seen talked about, what is found here is a wealth of information on the subject of God's mission. And I would say that these general epistles have much, much bearing to how we as a church need to think about these concepts of life today in bearing witness through steadfastness and suffering, bearing witness to God's blessings through our lifestyle, how we not only treat the outsider, but how we treat one another. Think about that one for a second. Compare that with the headlines that you're seeing across the world today, especially within the United States and in parts of the UK, related to how Christians are treating one another. And then, of course, the concept of engaging the nations in light of the fact that Judgment Day is coming. Thanks so much for checking out another episode of Strike the Match. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Penn. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.